Hello, folks. Good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're listening to this program, which is broadcasting now live from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Uh, we're broadcasting on La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Before we uh, bring Charles Goldman into the, into the conversation here, I want to take a quick second to shout out to some of the local businesses that make this program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great, pl- great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic located in Nevada, Iowa. Uh, Dr. Kim Holding has been practicing her profession and treating critters big and small for over 30 years at Story County Veterinary Clinic. Also, thanks to Ritual Cafe located at uh, 13th and Locust in downtown Des Moines. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and a all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. And finally, thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. Yeah, Cinco de Mayo coming up, folks, next Saturday, isn't it? Uh, Cinco de Mayo Restaurant located on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Authentic Mexican food with uh, excellent service at excellent prices as well. That's Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. All right, so, hey, um, we've got a bunch of stuff to cover for you all, as always, on this program. Uh, Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio with me. Hello, Charles. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to see you back from your uh, book tour. That was the most exhausting driving I've ever done, I think. You know what's the worst of all? New, New, New York City to Boston. I mean, I don't know how long it takes a normal person to do that in mm-hmm. normal conditions. It took us like six and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because oh, there's, yeah, there's really only two major highways to do it. Yeah. And if you hit rush hour anywhere, you had, we We didn't yeah. even hit rush hour. <laughs> it was that bad. So, But, you know, I, I hate driving in order to try to save the planet from carbon emissions. Yeah. Did, did you? But there was no option. Well, we had, we had a Prius that got 50 miles to the gallon. Uh-huh. That was pretty cool. But right. still, you know, if we had a, a transportation system that wasn't just built around the automobile, I might be able to take a train uh-huh. or even a better, you know, better bus service even. So. Well, legitimately, I guess, it, depending on where you're going in the Northeast, you could take a train. From one place in the Northeast to another, but try getting there from anywhere else. That's true. That's yeah. true. So yeah. what happened? The SUV that you actually ordered wasn't there at the rental place? <laughs> <laughs> so they gave you the Prius? I, I'm thinking of a word that starts with an S and ends with, oh, how about <laughs> shut up, Charles? No, I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, it's really interesting. My, my hypocrisy only goes well, a short it, ways. It, it's really interesting because the Prius, you have to pay a premium. To get a Prius, usually at rental car places. Well, that's true, actually, yeah, ironically. But but if you can buy a used one, it's not a bad deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's what we did. So. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, what? Yeah, I don't even know what the premium is. But, yeah, it is um, – it's a disincentive, of course. Right. It, it's considered like a specialty car. Right. As opposed to, you know, whatever version of the Japanese-made cars, for the most part, you can get at rental car places. So while you were gone – Yes. Or actually – Maybe it was just after you got back, um, you know, President Trump once again uh, decided to uh, put out a number of executive orders that I thought you would find interesting. Okay. Uh, I, I missed all this. I was locked up in a car. Well, so <laughs> so basically the president went down, of course, as he always does, to a safe place to announce these things. He went down to Mar-a-Lago? speak. Well, no, he went down to <laughs> Texas to speak in front of a bunch of unionized uh, oil workers. And uh, this time he came up with an interesting smorgasbord of things uh, that he signed. Um, basically, there were two executive orders that he signed. Uh, the first directed the Department of Energy and the Environmental Protection Agency. And, of course, remember that the Department of Energy is run by uh, – was run by Rick Perry, who evidently is going to be, I guess, the last of the cabinet members from the original 
a group of uh, Nobel scholars um, <laughs> to leave the administration. And um, the EPA, which, of course, is run by a uh, former lobbyist for the oil and gas interests. No surprise there. Right. Who's being investigated for what a surprise, ethical conflicts right. that he's representing his pri- previous clients at the same time as he's the e- EPA director. But anyway, the order directs the Department of Energy and the Environmental Protection Agency to clarify Section 401 of the Clean Water Act. And this is basically the part of the Clean Water Act that allows states to do independent permitting of what are otherwise interstate pipelines. Right. Um, and in particular, what's angering – uh, the president is that New York State is uh, stopping the construction of a 120 mile pipeline called the Constitution Pipeline that would take uh, natural gas from the fields in western Pennsylvania uh, to New York. Right. Um, and it's been and challenged. There's a lot of lot of citizen opposition. Uh, a I huge mean, amount. Huge yeah. amount. I mean, most people along anywhere near that route are against it. Well, this has been going on since 2016. Right. Because the, uh, FERC, which we talked about while you were the gone, the Federal Energy Reserve Commission, correct, is um, had allowed this to go forward, right. and the state said, "Well, we're not giving you the permits." And this has been going on since 2016, and any court action up to this point has basically been ruled on in favor of New York State. Um, right. So that was part of you and, know and that that might that would that would probably continue. So that's where the executive order comes in to try to preempt the state's authority to have uh, what has been historically a state's right to do. And, and actually, he can try to preempt as much as possible because it, it it's going to go back to the courts. And this this part of the Clean Water Act has already been adjudicated before the Supreme Court twice, and the states have won. Folks, we're talking about state rights relevant to climate and related right, issues. not relative, relevant to slavery. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Well, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that comes into this conversation. Yeah. If you'd like to join the talk, you, uh, you can give us a shout. We're always, we always love to have uh, other opinions, as, even though Charles is right most of the time. Uh, there's, that, there's that 1% where we could use your help. Or maybe it's 10%, Charles. Or maybe it's 50 <laughs> I can't remember now. Anyway, give us a shout at 515 528 22, that's 515-528-8122. Well, so, there's more to this. Okay, go. But, but, you know, and <laughs> and um, so the next part of that executive order um, is uh, that the president is directing the Department of Labor run by, as we know, a federal prosecutor who probably should be – former federal prosecutor should be in jail for his involvement in the Epstein uh, case the uh, and a, and a real friend of labor, I assume. I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> probably not. I'm sure that's not probably why he was not. chosen because yeah. you know, we all know that the qualifications are always directly related to uh, <laughs> how much love you can lavish upon Mr. <laughs> uh, un, President. Un, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the second part of this is that he directed the Department of Labor to start investigating whether the uh, various retirement funds, pension funds are uh, meeting their fiduciary responsibility to maximize return um, <laughs> as they slowly and increasingly divest themselves of oil and gas uh, stocks. Now, the irony of that, of course, is that all the ones that did divest have made a lot of money these last couple of years because oil stocks are basically tanking. Right. And so the fiduciary responsibility to maximize their return, it was a smart move to get rid of oil stocks. But you know, we'll talk a little bit about what's really going on. And, and as Bill McKibben writes, 
how the plans to the climate change Death Star are now pretty clear, and that the divestment movement is <laughs> wait, really beginning wait, to wait, hurt. Wait, say more about the climate change Death Star. Well, Bill but, McKibben, my second yeah. favorite climate change writer after you, Ed, After me, right. <laughs> wrote an article uh, that um, Trump leaks the blueprints for the climate change, for the climate Death Star. Um, and we'll talk about that in, in a minute. And then right. the last thing was that there was another executive order that he signed in which the president, it will now become the determinant as to whether um, energy projects that are international will be um, pursued. Right, because uh, because the, the, again, the Keystone Pipeline from still not, Canada, from still not the being built. tar sands. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, historically, the Secretary of State has had a key role in – permitting and, and approving uh, those kinds of um, transnational projects. Correct. Used based wants- on economic impact, based on environmental impact. So how, how does Trump uh, propose to minimize the uh, meddling, let's call it, <laughs> of the State Department? He just simply is taking that power onto himself based on the executive order. So it's a power grab. Of course. Yeah. Now, this is, you know, this is not a constitutional issue because there's nothing in the Constitution about the Secretary of State supposed to be the right. one to do But it this. is the historic pre- precedent of the Secretary of State to have that oh, authority. Historic precedent? Yeah. We're talking about the Trump administration. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So anyway. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> right. Um, now, it, it, of course, the interesting thing is it, it's clearly about Keystone XL. Um, right. And, you know, you can talk to this. Uh, Keystone XL is still not progressing because it cannot at this point pass across Nebraska. Because of the public utility board there, also because of the issue of invoking the Clean Water Act. Let's go ahead and pollute the main aquifer for all of agriculture in the Midwest. Um, well, not all the Midwest. Well, but, yeah, a, but a, a large but part. most chunk, uh, the biggest chunk in Nebraska and a lot of other places. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. And, and let's, let's get down. Who, who benefits from Keystone XL? Well, clearly we do, Charles, because that that oil is going to come back to us as gasoline and going to well, fill up is, our tanks and we're going to all be happy, right? See, this that's is, what I've been told. Right, but that's an interesting thing because in, in this executive order, they, they use the word American energy dominance multiple times. Keystone XL has nothing to do with American energy dominance. Right. Let's, let's be clear what Keystone XL is. First of all, it's taking the most low-grade – Low quality and dirtiest possible oil. Expensive to produce. Exactly. From the shale sands up in, you know, Alberta and those places. And why is it coming across the United States? Because they, they couldn't they, permit it in Canada because the First Nations in British Columbia said none of that's going across our land. Right. So the Canadians wouldn't allow it to go to the West Coast. The Canadians on the east said no way it's going to the St. Lawrence Seaway. So they said, oh, great. We'll, we'll put it across multiple U.S. states to – refineries in Houston where that oil is going to be refined and then exported. It has nothing to do with energy dominance. Right. It's all about the money and yeah. stranded assets. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you've been in the pipeline fight, obviously, with Dakota Access. Um, and I've done everything but be in the actual pipeline. Correct. Yeah. So, and, and there were people who were so before it started flowing oil. It, it's, it, it, it's intr- it, is, it is important to understand that the actions of activists have really started to make it difficult for the oil and gas companies. Right. And pipelines is just part of it. Now, of course, what the Trump administration is saying is, well, if we do these things, the price of energy will go down. They they, they promised that with the construction of DAPL, of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Right. They, they made – the promises are so um, weak and transparent that it's amazing anybody gets fooled by them anymore. 
Well, because you're going to sell your, your product for the highest price. So if the highest price is outside the United States, yeah. that's where it's going to go. And increasingly it is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we're now – we're an oil exporter. How is putting more supply into the pipeline – Literally. Folks, if you'd like to call and join the conversation, again, it's 515-528-8122. That's 528-8122. Dr. Charles Goldman with me, your host, Ed Fallon, on the Fallon Forum this morning. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here, broadcasting from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines. All right, later in the program, we're going to be talking about, um, oh, our favorite big banks and the shenanigans they've been up to and how some presidential candidates are starting to push back against them. But we're also going to talk about the um, – we're going to continue our conversation about the uh, – the, uh, <laughs> The uh, executive Repo- the Republican Party's hypocrisy on on states' rights. I mean, how he, and this is a, a phenomenon across the country. Just a few examples from Iowa. You have the state legislature again, totally controlled by the Republican Party, that's now banning a city's ability to, for example, uh, we're preempting a city's ability to ban plastic bags, which are becoming an absolute menace mm-hmm. beyond their climate impact. Uh, they've already, years ago, they went ahead and preempted a city's ability to regulate uh, lawn chemicals, even to the point of, reg- or of preventing a city from notifying, from requiring a, a chemical company to notify the neighbor when a, when a, um, when a chemical was going to be applied next door. Yeah, and they've, they've, they've taken action on guns and, and you name it. And we see now legislatures across the country that are trying to um, – to um, preempt local authority relevant to uh, protest laws and whatnot. Well, I mean, it gets worse than that. I mean, if if you look around the country, they're not just preempting local authority. They're preempting the authority of the people from whom they derive the privilege to govern. In theory. In theory. (laughs) In theory, yeah. So if you you look at what happened, for instance, in what's happening in Missouri – you know, where they decided, the people decided that they want to clean up the corruption in their government. And the Republicans controlling the state legislature, of course, are trying to do everything now to pass legislation antithetical to exactly what that law was meant to do. And on top of that, to limit the right of Missouri citizens to bring ballot initiatives. If you go down to Florida, where supposedly 1.5 million felons are going to be added back into the voting uh, rolls, Something which won with over 60-plus percent of the vote down in Florida. Right, right. What, what's happening? They're, they're slow-walking it <laughs> by adding on all sorts of other regulations. And then you have, of course, the, the most you know, ridiculous thing in Iowa, which is that the voting – you know, the whole package of voting reforms that the Republicans want to do because there's so much about democracy and the people that um, part of that was – that because in some places you could vote till nine o'clock, or in some elections you could vote till nine o'clock, they decided, or as part of the bill, that no, we're going to make everybody close the polls at eight o'clock. Right. Uniformity would have allowed them to say no. Every election you keep the polls open till nine. Yeah. But no, it's it's, it's yeah, a it's joke. across the board. It's happening at the state level, right. uh, and not just on climate related issues, but the uh, again the 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 impetus to this this conversation initially was what uh, President Trump did. This past week, relevant to states' rights to decide uh, issues relevant to permitting of pipelines. Correct. And because a- who do, who pays to clean up the mess after these pipelines? Oh, you mean the big oil companies don't pay? Of course not. You know, I mean, well, but you see, Charles, this, you cynic. this is this is really interesting because this is this is kind of how things go in the United States. Um, well, first of all, I guess my question to the, the Trump administration would be: You're such a champion of coal. So you want to make it easier to pipe natural gas all over the place, which is the reason that coal is worthless at this point, except for metallurgy. Well, it's one yeah. reason. The other reason it, is that solar energy is now cheaper than coal. Well, but of course, we're now having efforts in Iowa to make solar energy more expensive, which we can right. talk about. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I, of course, it's, it, it, we all understand 
their whole discussion of strict constructionism is just nonsensical. You know, so a strict constructionist Republican judge means you would vote to uh, overturn Roe v. Wade. That's essentially the only criteria for being a strict constructionist. And, and you know, don't call in and tell me about Scalia's strict constructionism. Okay? He made it up just as much as the supposed liberal judges made it up. You know, sure, Roe v. Wade is 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 based on a non a non enumerated right to privacy, although it is an obvious right to privacy. You if you live in a democracy, you should have a right to privacy. You would think. Yes. So the fact that the founders didn't put it in there doesn't mean that using that as the basis. But the problem is when you make law based on things you make up, which is essentially what many of the judges do now on both sides, it's, if you don't have a solid premise, it allows you to find ways to overturn these decisions. I mean, so, yeah. So let, let, let me circle, before we run sure. out of time, I want to circle back to the Trump decision on, on pipelines. Right. Um, is there... Uh, is this, a, is this a done deal at this point, or is there a – I mean, I assume there's going to be a lawsuit. Oh, no, probably no, no. Probably, I mean, probably. E- even, even people within the industry say this is going to make no difference whatsoever. They're going to be fighting in court over this just as they were before. And, and while they're fighting in court, the current law will continue. So right. states like New York, ideally states uh, – any any state that values you know the public right to uh, to – to manage its own, you know, resources better, you know, and and I get it. I when it comes to something that you know, when a resource within your state's borders leaves the states, water, air, yeah, then it becomes a multi, and then, then it becomes a much broader conversation. But when you're talking about issues of whether the pipelines, I mean, the siting of the pipeline itself is impacting the forests, the farms, the streams running, you know, through this one particular state. In this case, mm-hmm. New York, and why should they not have the right? So I think that's going to continue. And I, I, I would be surprised if other states don't start standing up to these oil companies because more and more voters are seeing the lies that they've put out. I mean, the lie of, this, of these pipelines being about oil independence, the lie about it being, about it being cheap fuel, mm-hmm. the lie about it being jobs. Right. I mean, there's so many ways they have lied about this. Well, And, and, and I think more and more people are going to see that and push back. In the meantime, this goes to the courts and nothing changes. Right. And and the other problem is is that all the costs of these pipelines and other me- other ways of moving energy around are borne by the taxpayer anyway. Right. If you live in North Carolina and those coal ash ponds overflow, ruining everything around it, who pays for the the damage? Not Duke Energy. Right. The taxpayers of North Carolina and probably the federal taxpayers at some point pay for it. So, it, yeah, it seems like cheap energy, but but we're subsidizing so many things through our taxes that um, it's it, it's it's an illusion that it's cheap. And then, of course, what oil and gas does is say, well, look at solar. Solar gets all these, you know, subsidies, et cetera, et cetera. Well, oil and gas gets huge subsidies, not right. just in the tax code, but directly from the taxpayer. Right. So, hey, this has been a good, good conversation, Charles. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how some of the uh, big dogs at uh, Morgan Chase and uh, Bridgewater Associates, um, other billionaires in, in, of that genre, how they have um, publicly questioned uh, whether capitalism is in crisis. That's interesting. The kings of capitalism questioning whether capitalism is in crisis. And we'll look also at how some of the... Uh, Some of the Democrats running for president and other leading Democrats in the U.S. Congress and U.S. Senate are 
pushing back through proposals such as a wealth tax. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. with you here and Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio with me. Take a quick second here to thank the local businesses that help make this program possible. Community CPA and Associates with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. Uh, you probably get your taxes done already, but hey, it's not a bad idea to give Yingsaw, the founder and director of Community CPA, a shout uh, because it's good to get on this stuff early. Um, also, thanks to Hawk Restaurant located at East 5th and Walnut in uh, Des Moines East Village, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Hawk will be at the uh, Des Moines Farmer's Market every every Saturday except the second Saturday of the month, I believe. And they'll also be uh, preparing a special event for Mother's Day coming up uh, in just a few weeks. Also, thanks to Sergeant's Garage located at 6th and College just north of downtown Des Moines. Sergeant's always gives you a fair price and a Accurate diagnosis every single time. Thanks also to Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. All your insurance needs under one roof. That's Diversity Insurance. No appointment needed. 1541 East Grand. All right, welcome back to the show. Again, Dr. Charles Goldman still stuck here in the studio with me. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, there's just, oh. You know, I, the, the, you could do, I understand why... Bradshaw, our buddy Bradshaw, used to do a three-hour-a-day talk show. Mm-hmm. There's just so much to talk about. And he didn't have the Trump administration to he, talk he, about. He didn't even have the Trump administration to help him out. Yeah. And it's it just so hard to squeeze it all into one program. Before we talk about the bank stuff and some of the presidential candidates pushing back with a wealth tax proposal, we've got we to wrap up the previous conversation by looking at how impactful the divestment movement has been when it comes to fossil fuels. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge thing. It, it, People haven't realized how big a deal that's been. It, again, you know, this is the model for this, of course, was the divestment movement against South Africa during right. the apartheid era. And the divestment movement in oil and gas is pretty young, really just goes back to about 2012. And already uh, portfolios and endowments worth over $8 trillion have divested in part or in total. Wrap your mind around that. Eight trillion mm-hmm. the big t word 8 trillion right and it's a lot in 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 some respect that's enough money to move the markets in the sense that you know the stock market is still buying and selling and if you've got 8 trillion dollars on the sideline who are some of the big players that have divested um that I don't have information on right now. You can, I think, you can find more information about who hasn't divested than who has. <laughs> because but, the pressure is just continuing to ramp up. That's correct, and it's it's also beginning to influence the banks themselves that have uh, been loaning money to the industry, and the industry is pretty public about that. Shell Oil is talking about it. Shell Oil executives are talking about it. Multiple coal companies are saying they can't get any financing at this point from almost any bank in the United States. Well, um, except for, I believe, Citi, Citigroup. Yeah. Yeah, oh, well, I'm sorry, Chase. Chase, you know, uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, um, they are still the biggest investor in infrastructure for the energy industry. But the point is, is that they're having to pay more for their loans. They're invest, the investment portfolios divesting of them is causing the stock price to go down. Well, the biggest... Um, the biggest uh 
the, the best example of why of how the divestment movement has been impactful. I mean, look at the lawsuit filed. I was just to say the best, but one of the one of the key indicators of the of the effectiveness of divestment is the lawsuit filed a couple of years back by Energy Transfer Partners against Greenpeace, Earth First, um, uh, well, a bunch of other groups, Bold Bold mm-hmm. Iowa as well. Uh, there were maybe fifteen twenty groups listed in the uh, in the um, in the lawsuit, mm-hmm. and the courts gradually over time, you know, dismissed one after the other of the key organizations from the suit, basically claiming it was meritless. And um, and, and Energy Partners' claim was that 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 uh, a, ver- a variety of tactics that cost it a lot of money. And I, again, I I know that um, that the uh, protests here in Iowa and in North Dakota mm-hmm. were very effective. Um, I also know that the actions that landowners and farmers took, uh, bringing the company into court, I mean, and that's, there's a long, long list of, 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 of uh, individual, land, uh, individual lawsuits, uh, collective lawsuits as well. And those, uh, some of those have gone the way of the landowners and the farmers. Quite a few have, in fact. And um, so, you know, those things have been impactful. But I would say the, the biggest impact financially has been divestment. Mm-hmm. Because when you get... When you get a lot of individual people to move their money, that, that, that amounts to something. And again, the more and more people who do that, of course, the collective impact is greater. But when you get some really big entities, and again, I, I can't remember the, the list either, but, but it's out there, like you said. But when you get those big entities to pull their money, that's huge. And that's, what did you say, well, how many, one trillion? Eight trillion. Eight trillion. Eight trillion. That, that's a huge amount of money. And so, yeah, the... Um, where this goes in the end, I don't know, but I think you can start to see the writing on the wall by some of the actions that are being taken by Shell and other other key players. Uh, you know, Chase with, with being the exception so far. Yeah, I mean the the whole strategy is that you make it more expensive to do this, and therefore the price of the asset has to go up, right. and so you no longer see, you know, shale oil. Being an asset that has value in in a, you know an environment where you can much more cheaply generate uh, gasoline than heating up water in, in you know in Canada to solubilize shale oil in shale and then having to put it in these horrendous chemical mixtures to keep it liquid enough to move through a pipeline right. from the border of Canada all the way down to Houston. Because they couldn't, Canada couldn't bring <laughs> Cause, it cause to Because exactly, because Canadians right. didn't want to have anything to do with it either. Right. So, hey, um, back to Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, yeah. You know, <clears throat> you, 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 you pointed out that they publicly questioned whether capitalism is in crisis due to rising income inequality. Since when does Jamie Dimon care about rising income inequality? The only care, I mean, my experience is only concerned about rising in- income inequality is that he gets more. <laughs> well, yeah, it's really intriguing. So yeah, I, what's I agree. going on here? I have no idea what's going on. You know, um, the, the, the two people who've been most visible on this are Jamie Dimon, the uh, CEO of uh, Chase. of J.P. Morgan Chase, and um, uh, Dalio. I think Robert Dalio, Ray Dalio, Ray Dalio yeah. who runs a hedge fund called Bridgewater Associates. And you know, I think everybody should know if you want to talk about a predatory capitalism, you're talking about hedge funds. Hedge funds, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Charge high fees to uh, invest people's money, basically move money from one side of a computer screen to another. And the irony is, is that hedge funds for the most part, not necessarily Dalio, but the hedge funds for the most part, underperform just buying index funds on the stock market. So not only do they get special tax breaks, but 
they don't even do the job they're supposed to be doing, for which they take high fees. So, um, and then... And they do that on a whole range of, of, of issues. Correct. And then you have, you know, uh, Jamie Dimon, who was in front of a Senate committee or House committee last week, and when he was queried about how somebody who was working, you know, for his for Chase was supposed to live on the West Coast, when, you know, this, one of the representatives went through a budget and how much this person was making working in some sort of administrative assistant job there it was clear that there was a shortfall of five to seven hundred dollars a month a month right and you know so she asked jamie diamond well what do you think how how should we fix this the obvious answer is you need to pay them more (laughs) right (laughs) which he couldn't bring himself to say Right. Nevertheless. But, but, but what he ended up saying was even more damaging, I think. <laughs> yeah. So he basically ended up saying nothing in the end. He, he didn't have an answer. But, you know, ironically, um, this is coming at a time when the Democrats, you know, or as the president once again said last night, the socialists. Yeah. Because, so, you know, before, AOC is the but, Democratic but, Party. But before we go there, well, what, what, exactly, uh, what exactly did Diamond say that – there should be wide criticism of capitalism. Again, he's the king of capitalism. Or, or, or well, he 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 and, and he and, and and Dalio said it can't go on this way, that it is disrupting <clears throat> the economy, that and it's creating the unrest and the problems we're seeing in the United States, you know, and that this was so historically to, out of line. Are they willing to sell a few yachts and a couple of mansions? And they were willing to say that businesses should come together to fix it, and government should basically stay out of it. <laughs> Or they should join more voluntary the, compliance. You right. see how well that works with water. Right. So you know, on the other hand, you have the Democrats, in particular Elizabeth Warren, who've come out, you know, for a wealth tax, which is not a, a new idea. That idea dates back uh, the modern version of it into the mid nineteen nineties. Andrew Yang's proposal of a of an annual, you know, guaranteed annual income. Correct. That's is, the, is also an old idea. That now is a new name. Correct. But but the, the problem with Andrew Yang's idea, which I, I agree that there's there's an old idea to which there's merit, is you have to find that money somewhere. Right. You know, and what people like, well, that, that's, you know, the, the, the more Republican-leaning wealthy or people like Bloomberg say is it's ludicrous, ludicrous to think that we should have to pay. Um, Bloomberg, a good, solid – yeah, progressive Democrat. Right? But he is a well. He, but the problem is, he is a progressive in many ways. On many of the issues, how can you be a progressive Democrat uh, without without recognizing the problems with wealth inequality? I, I agree with that. But this is the question, which is, you're not going to get anybody who is purely anything. I mean, I think you would find Bloomberg's, you know, climate views in line with Democrats. And right. in line with what you would be but, most comfortable with. And doesn't that indicate that more and more of the ultra-rich realize that, hey, my fortunes are at stake in the new climate era? As, and what science is telling me is that you know, my, 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 my assets aren't going to be worth squat if this continues. And it's going to continue under the current, you know, the current level of emissions. Um, that's that's what they're being told, and they're not dumb. Uh, no, I mean I don't know that it's necessarily even monetary with them. I think if if you're a person who reads and has a brain, you would realize that climate change is going to change everything, you know. And um, 
I, I'm not sure it has anything to do specifically with their wealth. They assume their wealth will insulate them from these things. But I think everybody realizes that <laughs> in a bunker in South Dakota somewhere. Exactly. Right. No, I mean I think that these people legitimately believe the science, and 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 they are rationalists, and they they feel like science and experts should be listened to. Don't you think that maybe it's a it's a problem of an addiction? They're compulsively addicted to acquiring more and more wealth. They can't stand not to see their bottom line get better and rosier every year. Maybe they need a 12-step program. Uh, I mean, Maybe it, they need to go on a walk it, it has become the scorecard. How much money you have has become the scorecard in, in what is a sick version of capitalism yeah. in the United States right now. He who dies with the more toys wins, as I heard one person put it. Well, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's just it's hard to square. There are, there are many of the billionaires who turn around and say, I have no problem with estate tax. I have no problem with the wealth tax. Many or a few? A few. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, a few. Um, you know, but I think the biggest thing to understand about the Democratic proposals, which are in, in terms of Elizabeth Warren is a, is a wealth tax, uh, in terms of Ron Wyden is a, a, a complete rewriting of the capital gains rules, which I think is the most important. Ron Wyden, of course, is not a candidate for the presidency. Right. Is he a U.S. senator from Oregon? He's a U.S. senator from Oregon. He's on the finance committee in the Senate. And, and his idea is the most comprehensive, which is, ask for, let's ask the first question. Why are capital gains treated any differently than income? Right. Why are – and, and this, I think it's really important. The American people as a whole, the other 99.9 percent who mostly subsist on income, you're just being gulled when you listen to these arguments about we have to get rid of the estate tax, we have to get rid of the death tax, we, we no, we can't have a socialist wealth tax. It's not going to affect you. And none of you are going to, to achieve the American dream of being as wealthy as these people are, right? But that's how the Republicans have sold this. Basically what they say implicitly is, well, you may be rich one day too. Not going to happen if you start from being poor for most people. Right. Okay, let's, let's be clear. The American dream is a myth. Is it a myth? It is a myth. Always or just now? Almost always. So even in the past? Even in the past, it's well, been a myth. I mean, but, but people, yeah, but po the American post dream, World War I. But the, idea, World II, but the American dream that we think about was actually from mostly left-leaning socialists, and they weren't necessarily talking about amassing huge wealth, but they were talking about a minimum subsistence for everybody. Right, the, the, the new, the original New Deal of the Depression. Correct. The, uh, Social Security. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and so that's the Public real American dream. The American dream wasn't owning a house out in the burbs. It wasn't being a billionaire. It was to have the ability to have a life that didn't just revolve around thinking constantly I, I, I about would, money. I would just, I would just disagree, disagree with that on one point. I think it was about owning a home, especially especially after World War Two, and 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 the, and the huge investment in. In building affordable homes for people coming back from the war. Right, but it, that's also part something. Of the dream. It's part of the dream because there's commercials that make you think owning a house is actually worth it financially. In many cases, owning a house is not worth it financially. This is funny. The guy who owns a home is saying this. No, to I the don't. Guy who I actually it. rent my house. Well, you're, I, yeah, vowed, I didn't know that. <laughs> I have vowed I will never own a home again. Right, no, okay. but actually, this, it's important to talk about home ownership because this is exactly what you're going to hear. So, what Wyden's talking about is something called mark to market which is at the end of every year, you sum up what your assets are and you get taxed on those assets. So in other words, you're not taxing income anymore, you're taxing wealth and income. Now, 
So you're going to hear people from mostly the Republican side saying, well, that's not fair. Okay, I ask everybody who owns a house out there, do you, where, where does mark-to-market come to play in your life? It comes to play in property taxes. Mm-hmm. You pay taxes on what your house is said to be worth and those are at the end of that up. year. Those are always going up, even when cities like Des Moines and West Des Moines pass a sales tax. Right. They, they argue that it's going to so, shift the burden. So my question to people out there is, if it's okay for you to pay property taxes on the assumed <coughs> value of your home, why isn't it okay for us to have people who are much wealthier pay taxes on the assumed value of their assets at the end of that year? There's no real logical explanation as to why there isn't. Of course there isn't. Yeah. But that's the point. It's going to be, again, it's going to be sold as some sort of socialistic plot against wealth, and nobody will want to be wealthy again if they're going to get taxed at 1% to 3% on their excess wealth. So so, so since Jamie Dimon and Ray Dalio and other billionaires uh, seem to be getting the fact that the huge disparity in income can't persist, maybe they would agree that a wealth tax is in order. Well, or is that too much to hope for, Charles? Well, there are some who do. I don't know about Jamie Dimon particularly, and, and certainly no well, Michael Warren Bloomberg doesn't. Warren Buffett. You know, and it's interesting because Warren the Buffett. The warmer and fuzzier War, guys. Warren, Warren Buffett is somebody who would, would have law, would, would still be a billionaire, but his value, his, his, his assets would be cut almost 60% if at the beginning of his accumulation of wealth, you had a mark to market regimen in place. The other part of this is. You need a three a three part regimen, which is why I think Wyden's plan is much more comprehensive. You need first of all get rid of the capital gains advantage. <clears throat> do you do you really mean to tell me that sitting around watching the stock market is such hard work that your that the money you make on a stock shouldn't be considered income? Is that really harder work than somebody who's working in fast food, somebody who's working in construction? Give me a break. Yeah. All the advantages to to, to income. Uh, you know, it's capital gains. What does that do? It means people don't sell their assets. They hold on to them to pass them on to whom? Their heirs. And you take away an estate tax, there's no reason not to hold on to these assets, right? Right. And then the third thing is to come up with some sort of mark-to-market program where every year you're paying taxes on what you're worth. And if you do worse the next year, you'll pay less taxes. Yeah. You know, so um, you're going to hear this it's going to be relentless until the 2020 election about that wealth taxes are appropriation, so, just like communist is, Russia. Is, uh, is Elizabeth Warren the only Democratic presidential candidate who is thumping on on some version of a wealth tax? Um, I mean, I, I, I think, again, Andrew Yang has his his version of how to restore uh, right. uh, some balance. Yes, to, Harris and, and Sanders are talking mostly about uh, increasing the estate tax. Right. But I think the, the point to understand is you need to do all three because <clears throat> if you don't do all three, the, it just sets up a situation where people are going to move things around just like they do, right? And, you know, the capital gain situation allows people to defer taking their profits to their own advantage. Also within corporate America, how, how much does an average worker get to defer, like into a 401K or into tax advantage savings plans? The maximum is somewhere around forty thousand dollars. You know, so how come the same the heads of those corporations can defer hundreds of thousands of dollars every year through deferred compensation agreements? 
but you as the American worker are maxed out at 40. And 40, of course, for most people is completely unattainable because 40 represents the average amount that the average American household has yeah. in the bank for retirement. Yeah. And this, this sort of conversation plays well for a Democratic uh, audience, for, for folks voting in caucus states or primary states. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think, and again, it's hard, it's impossible to say who the uh, Democratic nominee will be. I mean, it's, I, it's, a wild, it's a wild guess at this point, especially with Joe Biden jumping in this week. Um, right. You know, uh, that will be 20 candidates, mm -hmm. 20 candidates. Uh, and I, I imagine a few might drop out before the Iowa caucuses and, and the New Hampshire primary, but maybe not many. But at some point, you know, by March, it'll be down to three or four. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know whether we can expect Joe Biden to start talking about a wealth tax or, or capital gains or any, any of these sort of um, inequality issues. But um, I suspect that it's, uh, it's, again, it's, well, we know it's stuff that the, the base loves to hear, but. Which base? The Democratic yeah. base. But I, I suspect, too, that when it comes down to the general election, Maybe not. Maybe you won't see. I mean, my hope would be that the, whoever is the nominee doesn't tone it down, that they double down on their commitment to trying to address inequality. Because, you know, if it's, if it's presented correctly, I would think that that would really resonate well mm -hmm. with the general electorate across the U.S. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I agree. I mean, I think that you need someone, you need someone who's willing to be a teacher. You know, um, again, I'm thinking like Ross Perot with his whiteboard. But you do. Is that an endorsement of Warren because she's a teacher? A teacher? <laughs> no. All right. I mean, I think I think that's what you need to be able to do. And you need. I'm I'm so sick of the debates. These meaningless questions that get asked. Right. Well, that's that's the problem. You know, the, yeah. ask some questions where they have to give you a substantive answer. Give me an example. Um, I would say, okay, you've talked about that. You know, say taxation policy, right? Tell me, President Trump. First of all, tell me, President Trump, what's in your tax plan? That would be a difficult question for him to answer. Uh, secondly, I'd say, why is this tax plan good for America? You know, and ask the question of the Democrat too. Okay, what's your tax plan? You know, be I want specifics. I don't want to have a bold, you know discussions about social issues again. We've had that for yeah. fifty years, and we need that on climate and on a host Correct. of host of. I, I bet you, climate yeah. is going to be a much bigger issue. It's in 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 the debates coming up. Yep. Well, it's it's heading that way. Yeah, doing our part. I know you absolutely. <laughs> All right, Dr. Charles Goldman, folks, in the studio with us today. If you're listening on our community-owned stations, uh, stay tuned. We got more conversation coming up for you. If you're listening online or on Lorena 1260 AM 96.5 FM, uh, again we broadcast live every Monday at 11 o'clock, 11 to noon. Uh, you can hear podcasts later in the day available on the Fallon Forum website. And, of course, the show rebroadcast on a bunch of stations in Iowa and elsewhere in the U.S. Uh, we always welcome feedback, uh, ed at FallonForum.com. Thanks to Ashley Martinez, our producer, to Sherry Hardina, our production assistant, and to Juan Rodriguez, the head of the studio. Welcome back, folks. Ed Fallon with you and Dr. Charles Goldman, uh, broadcasting here from Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, not just the cultural and culinary crossroads of America anymore, but the epicenter of uh, presidential campaign activity. And, um, you know, the Bold Iowa Climate Bird Dog Initiative has really had an impact. Uh, 
there's only one candidate so far that has made it the absolute front and center urgent, urgent priority that it deserves to be, and that's uh, Governor Jay Inslee. But mm-hmm. we, ex- we, we really, truly expect more and more candidates to start stepping forward. And um, we've— um, Well, they have, to, they have to check their polling first. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and if they do check the polling, the polling's pretty good on this. More and more people are understanding we've got a crisis that we've got to deal with. And the well, um, well the biggest the biggest problem is that you the group that is most likely to make climate change a signature issue for them in this election are the millennials. Yeah, but millennials also have not great participation rates. That might nas- change. You know, that in national might elections. change. That might change. And you know, with, with so many candidates, we're kind of we're about to have twenty candidates on the Democratic side mm-hmm. alone. Now, um, the, the 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 candidate that I would say is is closest to jumping on board climate as the top urgent priority is Kirsten Gillibrand. Mm-hmm. She has said to us point blank, and we have video recording of it. She has said, "Climate change is my number one priority." Yeah. Now we haven't seen that translate yet into consistent conversation to that effect on the stump on our website but um, just this morning the uh, an email comes in global chi- global climate change is the greatest threat to humanity we face it's time for bold goals to tackle it mm-hmm. and she goes on she indicates that she has uh, taken the no fossil fuel money pledge and uh, she's banning fossil fuel industry donations from her campaign and um, yeah, it's also a fundraising pitch, of course, because mm-hmm. every, every email from a presidential candidate is. But um, Gillibrand, yeah, she's, she's taking it to the next level, and we'll see if other candidates are willing to do that. The interesting thing about her candidacy is that it is, um, she is uh, doing a bunch of stuff, and a lot of it's just very spontaneous and just off the cuff that is playing really well. Maybe you saw the uh, incident in a, I can't remember which Iowa town this was. It was a restaurant. And she was talking to some folks, and a woman kind of scoots behind her and says, I'm just trying to get some ranch. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was totally out of condition. She had nothing to do with that at all. Yeah. But then she played on, she played on it. She, she pushed it. And uh, it got overall a favorable reaction. And now she, um, here she is. Uh, <laughs> uh, are these the criteria that we're picking the president on? No. No, no, no. They, they, <laughs> I mean, I understand they aren't do and they that. shouldn't be. I understand but, that's what we do. But, un- yeah, understandably. <laughs> I mean, the, the media latch onto that. And, and I'm sorry. Yeah. But there's something about the human brain that latches on to these clever, creative, you know, off-script moments. They, we right. find that intriguing. And if we can find that intriguing— And it's really served us so well <laughs> as, we, I, I know, as we remember I know, I know. W, you know, <clears throat> and, and his cohort who led us into the endless war against terrorism. So, what did we say about him? Well, he's the kind of guy you'd like to have a beer with. <laughs> yeah, right, right, well, right, right, right. I mean, right. that's my president right there. <laughs> <laughs> because you're such a beer-drinking guy. <laughs> you know. All right. I mean, so anyway, here's, here's Gillibrand at a gay bar in Iowa, mm-hmm. in Des Moines. Um, swapping dresses with the uh, with a drag queen, and, uh, <laughs> and then you know putting on the lipstick, doing all that stuff, um, and and that of course went viral. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure on Fox News it's like me shown all the time. <laughs> well, no, I mean she's she's so low down in the polls. I'm not sure Fox is, has been instructed well, yet to attack her. Th- this sort of thing, I mean, this sort of thing will help a candidate rise. I mean, you've got 20 people running. Okay, so let's, 20 let's, people running. I understand. So how do you figure, <clears throat> you know, uh, Mayor Pete being third in these early polls? Um, he's a, he presents very well. Mm-hmm. He's a good speaker. Does he have um, anything but white shirts? <laughs> the guy wears a white shirt every time. He's like a, you, you, you he's like a Jehovah's Witness you know, comes to your door. <laughs> well, and Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses can't even vote. So, no, I, uh, 
Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I think he's a very good speaker. I agree. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're the, he may be the flavor of the month. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. we, we saw that with the Republican. When there were 17 Republican candidates, remember? Right. And Scott Walker was, oh, if Scott Walker's in, then he's going he's gonna to walk away with it. Mm-hmm. At one point, Chris Christie was regarded as the unbeatable candidate. Mm-hmm. There were people from Des Moines, Republican business leaders from Des Moines, that flew to, to New Jersey specifically to court Christie. Yeah. And how do you do in Des Moines, in Iowa? No. Less, less than 1%? Something like that. I mean, that. He, he just yeah. he totally tanked. And, and look at all the other candidates on the Republican side mm-hmm. that year who tanked. Michelle Bachman. Uh, Ron, well, actually, Ron Paul ended up finishing a fairly respectable third. Mm-hmm. But there were candidates left and right who tanked. And so it may be that Buttigieg is merely the flavor of the month and that somebody else, Yang, and maybe Kirsten Gillibrand. I mean, it, it's in, what intrigues me is that she's, she's very she, – she does these crazy things. Uh, and here's, here's Gillibrand um, arm wrestling a, an Iowa State student and um, – a gal who was uh, 20 years old <laughs> and beating her. <laughs> so not, not only just having, <laughs> having the guts just to go out there and, and arm wrestle a 20-year-old <laughs> while you're running for president and then beating her. Well, that's just, that's just crazy. Um, okay, so I mean, I'm, I'm just... <laughs> again, not, not, not a criteria to vote I, for a no, candidate No, I understand. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about, you know, how this is being <clears throat> portrayed in the news because I'm sure, you know, they're showing this, uh, you know, her visit to Blazing Saddles here um, on MSNBC and showing her inclusiveness and her commitment to diversity. And, of course, on Fox, they're playing it as, here's Kristen Gillibrand with a gay person. That's all Fox needs to say to its <laughs> audience right. to, to, to discredit her, you know? Well, uh, this, this is the, my question with, with Kristen Gillibrand, is that, and, and this is, it's funny that we're, we, we bring it up a lot with her, but it's no different than Joe Biden. She's got a history of really not believing in many of the things, or at least not having, you know, been out there for many of the things she's talking about. You know, for instance, she was because someone she who was re- anti-amnesty. Well, right? she had such a Republican district. But well, so is the conversion uh, one of heart or one of political? Well, experience? she's a senator, so the issue once you become a senator, the issue that she comes from Troy, which is yeah, in a, in a uh, you're right, a very conservative part of the country. You're right, upstate New York. Is like the Midwest. It's like the Rust Belt in Midwest, and it's seen the good and the bad of the Industrial Revolution. Right. So you're right. She comes from a district which she's pretty con- is pretty conservative, but she was running a statewide campaign that includes New right. York City. Right. You know, so but where lots of crazy liberals live. But I mean, this is the problem, don't you think? That if she goes out there and says, you know, she went from I'm against amnesty for DACA to I want to abolish ICE. You know, it's it's just. It, it, it's painted as seeming opportunistic. Right. I think the second issue for Kristen But, but is it? That's my question. Is it, is it opportunistic or is she sincerely moving forward in her policy? I, I would say if you're Joe Biden who has the same kind of baggage, Mr. Law and Order in the 90s, you know, and other things, his despicable handling of the, of the Justice Thomas, you know, uh, hearings, right. many other things that he's been involved in, He's going to be given a pass because he may have changed his mind because he's a man. She's going to be, I think, held to an unfair standard of, well, why are you saying this now? Right. Interestingly, I'll give you a good example. Okay. Donald Trump in the last election. Right? Uh-huh. Where, where were his anti-abortion – where did his anti-abortion cred come from? He was somebody who was pro-choice, democratic, and then all of a sudden – 
He's this warrior for life. Yeah, and he's actually tried to deliver on that that pledge. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, we, Which, we, we give we give the guys a pass on this. Now, I, I just know, wonder yeah. about Kristen Gillibrand. The other problem, I think, for Kristen Gillibrand, Kristen. And Kristen Gillibrand is that she's also associated in people's minds with the women. And, of course, when we're talking about the women, oh. it means AOC, right? Alexandra? No, I don't see that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, there was a great article in The New Yorker talking about her district. Joe Biden's district back in New York and sort of how she's viewed. And her biggest opponent there is, uh, you know, the, the county supervisor. And it's, he says it's always about the women. It's always about the women. And they're all following AOC because this is going to be the campaign. AOC is the, is the face of the Democratic Party now on Fox News. You need to watch Fox to see this. <laughs> well, I don't watch As it. you know, I do. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 here, we have it divided up. Fox, you listen to Fox News, Charles. I'll listen to Rush Limbaugh. Okay. okay. But I want to I go back to sure. one more one more Gillibrand incident, okay, okay. That, that nobody knows about because this happened to uh, me and Kathy uh, and, uh, and uh, Kelly Quinn mm-hmm. were talking with Gillibrand uh, at Hawk Restaurant, actually, mm-hmm. about, um, about climate change and... Uh, we had can't, we, we it was just it was just casual conversation. The formal program had not started yet, and uh, Kathy and they, they had wine. So Kathy and I were sipping a glass of wine, and Gillibrand, who had just come in, says, "Can you get me a glass of that wine?" <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I get a glass of wine? So Kathy goes and gets her a glass of wine. Iowa wine, by the way. So um, did she say the magic word, please and thank you? I think she did. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> But but she was just afraid. Give me a glass of wine, would you? <laughs> yeah. How many candidates asked for an alcoholic beverage mm-hmm. at an event with national newspapers and TV cameras present? Yeah. I mean, she's really... Well, you think she's going to hit a dispensary out in California? I, I don't know where she's going to go. She's very... Uh, in, I guess you're right. In some ways, she's a bit like Joe Biden there. She's kind of very spontaneous, mm-hmm. very um, unafraid to be edgy. Right. And that um, that apparently is pretty good copy right now. Well, I, would, I think that's a good point. See, I think if, if you're going to see the contest as somebody who's unafraid to swing with, with Trump, she'd be perfect because yeah. she's totally unafraid of – but so is Warren. Yeah. You know, these are women who, who aren't going to be bullied by Trump. Right. You know, yeah. and they wouldn't let – They'd be let themselves be stalked a big on the debate stage like Hillary Clinton. Right, sure. Yeah. Well, a big difference between Trump, between uh, Gillibrand and Warren right now is that Gillibrand appears to be on the verge of prioritizing climate change. Yeah, I don't and, know and, much and about Warren. Warren yeah. refuses to even have that conversation. I don't, I don't know. I don't know much about Gillibrand's economic program or right. her, you know, feeling about wealth issues we just talked about. I think one other problem for Gillibrand is that. Her association with the Al Franken incident, you know, with the purity test. That, yeah, that has is, uh, is ticked off some people. And, yes. and not just outside of the Democratic Party, but within the Democratic Party. Right, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I, I've seen, I've, I've talked to people who said, I will never vote for her after what she did to Al Franken. Right. Yeah, and, and that may be a problem for her. It might be. But uh, I, think, I think she sees the writing on the wall regarding climate. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has said as much, it's my top priority. And it appears that she is moving in that direction. The creative, crazy, clever, you know, <laughs> stuff with arm wrestling and with uh, drag queens and and just, you know, give me a glass of wine, please. <laughs> I mean, and the ranch dressing thing. Those are all kind of moments that I think uh, I think might uh, elevate a candidate's uh, national profile. Well, and I, I you well, here's my here's my yeah. you might you might suspect to see those sort of moments from other candidates as well. Who would who would you rather have run a senator? Slash representative or governor or mayor. That doesn't matter to me. That doesn't matter to me. I think See, I feel like running running as a senator, you have the huge disadvantage of there's a voting record out there. Right, that's w- true. W- which you're going to be pilloried. 
Right. But know, it didn't hurt Obama. Or, or Hillary. It didn't, <laughs> Hillary. Um, it didn't hurt Obama. <laughs> right. That's true. But I, you know, I wonder whether true administrators who have a record that's very different, a record of getting things done. Everybody's got a record. A South Bend Mayor Pete yeah. Buttigieg has a record. I understand. Governor Inslee of Washington has a record. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Yang probably doesn't have a record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, and that, that, that essentially was an advantage Trump had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's an advantage, but it's also a disadvantage. So, I don't know. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, both of them. That we're going to have 20 both people, people that, to say. Yeah, yeah, both people that, uh, that Obama beat, Mitt Romney and... and, uh, and um, and John McCain had records, mm-hmm. so I, I don't. I don't. To me, it's not irrelevant. It's it's irrelevant at this point. Yeah, but you disagree. I, that, I makes, just, that makes me wrong. No, no. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I think I think a voting record can can be a disadvantage. Yeah. You know, and she's going to have to defend herself against Gillibrand. Think, yeah, yeah, against things she was definitely for in the past. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's been a fascinating week in Iowa politics, as it always is. This is Ed Fallon, folks, with Dr. Charles Goldman here on the Fallon Forum again. Check out the show live Mondays, 11 to 12, on FallonForum.com, or if you're in the Des Moines Metro, Lorraine at 1260 AM and 96.5 FM.